Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. Hello again. This Truth Talk is called Forgive, But How? Few Jesus followers would dispute the fact that we need to forgive those who offend or wrong us. However, just how and when to do this can be very problematic. This truth talk is not just a pastoral teaching, but as a means of working through the practical issues that have affected me and many other folk. You see, unforgiveness destroys relationships and can cause mental and even physical health problems in the offending party. So it's something we just cannot ignore or postpone for too long. The Lord Jesus taught that we should forgive. He included in the prayer format he gave to his disciples, the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, 12-15. And he ended with, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And then this sentiment is repeated, of course, in Mark eleven twenty six and in Luke 6, 37. So, okay. I just need to pray... Lord, I forgive so-and-so for this and that, and then everything will be fine. Yeah? No. That just won't do, because you see, Matthew 18 records a story Jesus told to illustrate the concept of forgiveness from the heart. He concludes with, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Matthew 18, verse 35. And the key phrase, in case you haven't got it, is from the heart. And that is where the rubber hits the road, or as we say in South Africa, the tacky hits the tar, yeah? You see, it's easy to forgive in mind, but the heart? Well, not so much, huh? There's just no doubt that Jesus instructs us to forgive in a real and heartfelt way. So the problem is not knowing that we need to forgive, but in knowing how and when to do this. In Matthew 18, it's a very well-known passage, often used in conjunction with forgiveness. And the Lord here instructs us regarding sins that affect the church community, or its Christian reputation, but not really about the individual's problems and forgiveness. It starts with, if your brother sins against you, but, you know, just to read that in the right context, the better translations all add the footnote that the words against you are omitted from some manuscripts. And and this omission of that makes a lot of sense because Jesus sets out something that affects the church, not the individual per se. And it has a form of church excommunication as its ultimate negative consequence. So it makes a lot of sense to omit these words against you if the sin in question is, is not really just about personal matters. So then this passage, I'm afraid, does not give us much help when it comes to personal offences and personal forgiveness. Another problematic aspect is when the person or persons who have sinned against you might not be aware of the hurt that they have caused. Jesus instructed on this in Luke 17 verse 3. He said, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. 
So if you have reason to think that the offender does not realize that they have offended you, then bring it to their attention and perhaps they will ask for forgiveness. <laughs> However, I've found from painful personal experience that it's often very hard for us to accept that the person in question could possibly be unaware of the impact of his or her words. You know, how could he not know? How could she not know that the things that she or he said were so hurtful? It seems so obvious to us, right? That anybody could be unaware of the damage to our self-worth or self-identity that this has caused. So this then raises another obstacle in approaching the offender, which is rejection and even counterattack from them. Sometimes you even have the evidence of experience to lead you to conclude that your challenge, no matter how gently made, will be aggressively rejected. Of course, the only way to find out is to approach the person anyway. And this, of course, risks further pain and even humiliation. Now, of course, if you yourself are the offender and you jolly well know it, then the Lord's clear instruction is that you immediately go and ask for forgiveness. He says, if you're offering your, your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go first and reconcile to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. That's in Matthew 5, 23 to 24. So, you see, forgiveness is not always as simple as we would make it out to be. Huh? All right, so what about a solution to the problem then? Well, full forgiveness in any relational sense is actually quite impossible to grant if the one causing the offence does not ask for it. However, Mark records something Jesus said that is helpful here. Jesus said, when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. That's Mark 11.35. Now, to see the scene, it's quite hard to imagine in this example that the man was supposed to stop praying, dash off to go and find the person he held a grudge against, forgive him, and then, although he may not have asked forgiveness even, and then resume praying. No, it's far more likely an explanation that Jesus requires an offended person to adopt an attitude of heart that is willing to forgive, if so asked. In other words, in this attitude of prayer to the Lord, in, as in this example, prayerfully commit to forgiving, if asked to do so. So, Lord, uh, my heart is open, and I I'm, I'm feel free. I, I, I commit myself to forgive him if, if he asks me or she asks me. Now, this actually conforms to the pattern we have in God's attitude towards us. We ask Him to forgive us, and He does so, because His heart is disposed towards this. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 9. Luke 17 4 confirms this approach where it says, even if he wrongs you seven times a day, and each time returns and asks for forgiveness, then forgive him. That's from the New Living Testament version. A man called Kevin Carson, a departmental chair of biblical counseling at the Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary in Springfield, Missouri, writes, 
The process is a little more complex, though. Although we try forgiving in our hearts before God, often the subconscious mind interferes with the integrity of this attitudinal forgiveness. We catch ourselves in moments of reflection, remembering the pain, and we even create an imaginary dialogue where we tell the offender just how we feel and how they have wronged us. Sometimes this can only be resolved when transactional forgiveness has taken place. Until then, all we can do is pray for God to bless, not correct, them, and continue to restate our willingness to forgive whenever these thoughts intrude. And ensure that we are sufficiently in contact and available to receive a request for forgiveness if and when the person is convicted of the need to do so. Well, I kind of endorse what he wrote there. Well, there are, of course, some obvious exceptions to this principle of what he calls transactional forgiveness. For instance, the person may be dead or otherwise uncontactable or even mentally unable to process and respond. And in these cases, clearly, attitudinal forgiveness must simply have to suffice. And the Holy Spirit will, over time, deal with it in our lives and remove any residual negative emotions. Another aspect I have not dealt with is the idea of self-forgiveness, epitomized by the phrase, oh, I just can't forgive myself for dot, 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 fill in the blank. Now, as I see it, the simple truth is that we cannot forgive ourselves for anything, actually, but we can confess and ask forgiveness for everything. The biblical assurance is clear that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. To continue to live in a state of self-condemnation is surely an affront to God? And is it not a lack of, of faith in his scriptural promises? Let me conclude with sharing with you two insights that I recently acquired. The first is that forgiveness is actually a process, not something that just happens, boom, one off. The sort of events or incidents that create serious mental anguish cause relationship failure, right? And if we lose relationships that we have cherished, then we surely must mourn in some way. And mourning is a process that has no fixed expiry date. Often the process involves stages of denial, anger, depression, and finally acceptance. So although we and others know that we need to confront the problem and approach the offender, it takes time to do so. Our hearts need to be prepared, as does the heart of the offender. If we are open to the possibility of reconciliation, then the Holy Spirit will work in all of our lives, all the people concerned, until the time comes when things can be positively resolved. Everything needs to be prepared, all the strings need to be brought together, and when the God the Holy Spirit has accomplished this, then it is the time, and it happens. Now, the second insight is that we often make assumptions about the state of the other person, which turn out to be untrue or just plain one-sided. For instance, he or she may view the break in relationship as our fault. He or she might say that we walked away, that we didn't care enough to try and so on. 
And this coupled with a lack of awareness of the damage they have done to you can result in them taking offence and feeling that you need to ask their forgiveness. So in summary, forgiveness requires of us by God, and it's definitely required of us by God. It starts with an attitude of preparedness and commitment to forgive the person who has caused the offence. However, it can only be effective in its fullness when forgiveness is sought and granted. When we release the offender and give up the right to exact a penalty, then our conscience is clear before God, and our relationship with Him is unsullied. But when forgiveness is asked for and granted, the heart is then healed and the way open to restore the relationship. Unforgiveness is a serious threat to our mental and spiritual health, and it negatively affects our relationship with Jesus and his people. Unforgiveness is a double-edged and a double whammy problem, because it impoverishes both the offended and the offender in some way, irrespective of the merits of the case. Whoever's right or wrong, it affects everybody. And it sometimes even affects family and friends who grieve. Or they take offence on behalf of one party or the other or both. You know, it's something we just cannot ignore. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honoured. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we forgive the wrongs that others have done to us. Do not bring us to hard testing, but keep us safe from the evil one. God be with you. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth talks.